0: Welcome back to Oliver's Insights, part of the Simplifying Investing podcast series. It's great to have you here. A reminder that this podcast is general in nature and hasn't taken your circumstances into account. It's important you consider your personal circumstances and speak to a financial advisor before deciding what's right for you. Any general tax information provided is provided as a guide only. And with that out of the way, here's Shane. G'day there and welcome to the latest issue of the Oliver's Insights podcast series. This week, we're going to have a look at the issue of valuations and why what you pay for an investment is a key driver of its medium-term return. And of course, along the way, we'll look at how valuations for various asset classes look right now. Now, it's logical that the cheaper you buy an asset or an investment, the higher its prospective return might be. However, this is frequently forgotten, with investors often tempted to project recent returns, often into the future, regardless of valuations. A valuation measure for an asset is basically a guide to whether it's expensive or cheap. An obvious example of where the starting point valuation matters critically is in relation to cash. If the interest rate on offer from a term deposit, say, is low, as was the case into early last year when rates were typically around 0.5% or less, then it means pretty poor returns. Makes sense. If your term deposit rate for the next three years is just 0.5%, well, that's all you're going to get. But if it's 7%, you'll do a lot better. Recently, the term deposit rates on offer by Australian banks have increased, with, of course, the Reserve Bank raising the cash rate. And so they're offering more attractive return potential, albeit they are still low or down from the levels of around 6 to 7% that we saw in 2010. So good news on that front. Bank term deposit rates have improved, you could argue their valuations have improved. For government bonds in advanced countries like Australia, the yield on those bonds is similarly a good guide to starting point value and hence medium term return potential from a bond investment or what is often called fixed interest. Over short term periods, bond prices can move up and down and this influences the capital value of those bonds and hence their short term returns. But over the medium term, the return a bond investor will get is what bond yields were when they invested in the bond. If for example, an investor invests in a 10-year government bond with a yield of 5% and you hold that bond to maturity, your return will be, guess what, 5%. And of course, that's per annum. Of course, the relationship is not perfect when you look at a whole portfolio of bonds because that portfolio can cause a bit of volatility across the bond universe. But the broad relationship holds. If you look at Australian bond yields against return from Australian bonds over the period since 1950, you typically find that the higher the starting point bond yield, the higher the return. For example, in January, 1982, the 10-year bond yield was about 15.2%. And of course, over the subsequent 10 years from January 1982, the returns from Australian bonds were around 15%. Of course, more recently... And the low point, of course, back in 2020, 10-year government bond yields in Australia were 0.6%, and anyone investing in those bonds, unfortunately, over the subsequent 10 years will have a return of about 0.6%. Now, of course, it might vary a little bit, but that relationship is reasonably reliable. The higher the starting point yield that you invest in bonds when you invest, the higher the return you will get over the medium term. Right now... Bond yields have jacked up quite a lot, uh, to around 4.5% almost in Australia. most recent number when I'm recording this is about 4.4%, well up from the low levels we saw at the time of the pandemic. So that suggests that bond returns over the medium term will be, all things being equal, about 4.4%. For shares, a similar relationship holds. If you look at the relationship between trailing price-to-earnings multiples for US shares since 1900 against subsequent 10-year total returns from US shares, that's dividends plus capital growth, you find that there is what you would call a negative relationship. The higher the price-to-earnings multiple, the lower the return over the subsequent 10 years. And for example, if you go back to 1900, the rough relationship is something like this. A PE of around 30 times is correlated very, very roughly to a subsequent 10-year return of about 1% to 2% per annum. Whereas if you were able to buy shares on a price-to-earnings multiple, that the ratio of share prices to their earnings of 10 times, which is historically quite low. So if it's 10 times, historically, the subsequent 10-year return on an annual basis has been almost 15%. So again, the higher the PE, the lower the return. Now, of course, you can turn that on its head. The most simple comparison to bonds is to take the PE, invert it, and then you get an earnings yield. And so, of course, it means that the higher the PE or the lower the earnings yield, the lower the return potential, and the lower the PE or the higher the earnings yield, the higher the return potential. It's a very similar story for Australia. We have in Australia data for the price to earnings ratio back to around 1962, prior to that it It seems that uh, I can't find a PE relationship or a PE history for Australia. But from 1962, that relationship that I referred to in the US also applies in Australia. Basic situation is that the higher the PE, or in other words, the lower earnings yield on shares, the lower the return. In fact, a PE historically of around 25 times translates to a per annum return of about 5% from Australian shares over the subsequent 10 years. But if you're lucky enough to buy shares on a PE of around 10 times, your return Uh, can be reasonably expected to be around 15% over the subsequent 10 years. And that, of course, is on an annual basis. Similar story for Australia. I mentioned I don't have a PE series going back to 1900, in fact, further back than 1952, but I do have a dividend yield series for Australian shares all the way back to 1900. And the basic relationship is intuitively the same. The higher the dividend yield, the higher the return, the lower the dividend yield, the lower the return potential from Australian shares over subsequent 10-year periods. The key in all this is the starting point for an investor into an asset class matters. Put simply, the higher the yield, whether that's an interest rate, a bond yield, or a dividend yield, the higher the return, flip it around the other way, the lower the yield, the lower the return potential. If you look at it in relation to shares for a price to earnings multiple, the higher the price to earnings ratio and you buy those shares, the lower potential medium term return will likely be. And vice versa, if you buy in on very low PEs, the higher the return potential is, likely to be. This might all sound a little bit confusing, but I don't think it is really. The cheaper you buy an asset at in terms of the higher yield you get or the lower price to earnings multiple you get, the higher the return potential will be. Unfortunately, the importance of starting point valuations is often forgotten though. Behavioural finance tells us that it's natural for investors to pay too much attention to recent performance from an asset class. So after a period of strong returns, investors will expect that to continue and vice versa when we've had a period of low returns. So people often get in at the top and then find that they've locked themselves into very poor returns because they bought when shares were overvalued and vice versa. When shares have had very poor returns, they often get out and find that they then miss out on good returns. So it seems that when valuations matter the most, they often get ignored. But of course, valuations can have their own pitfalls, particularly when it comes to growth assets like shares. Firstly, you need to allow for risk, as sometimes assets are cheap for a reason. This can be an issue with individual shares, for example. It's not just perhaps a big an issue for the overall market, but for individual shares, it can be an issue. For example, a deb- tobacco companies subject to lawsuits, even though current earnings are fine. It might look to be trading on a very low price-to-earnings multiple, but it's trading cheaply for a reason. Secondly, valuation is a poor guide to market timing, often being out by years. To paraphrase the well-known economist John Maynard Keynes, the market can remain expensive or alternatively cheap or longer than you can remain solvent. For example, Alan Greenspan, the former chairman of the US Federal Reserve and an economist, called Robert Schiller made a famous call back in 1996 that the US share market at the time was suffering from irrational exuberance. But of course, they were four years too early because the tech wreck did not occur until the year 2000 after massive gains into their high point in 2000. And of course, shorting US shares on the back of that irrational exuberance call would have sent an investor bust. Thirdly, there is a huge array of valuation measures when it comes to share. For example, the earnings in the price-to-earnings multiple can be actual historic earnings as reported for the past 12 months, consensus earnings for the year ahead, or earnings that have been smoothed to remove cyclical distortions. All of these earnings measures have pros and cons. For example, the historic PE, a PE... Calculated on earnings over the last 12 months based on actual data is all very good because it doesn't rely on any forecasts, but it can give the wrong signal during or after a recession, as earnings may be depressed, making shares look far more expensive than they actually are. Finally, the appropriate level of valuation will vary with inflation and interest rates. In times of low inflation, assets can trade on lower yields. As the yield structure in the economy falls, uncertainty falls, and for shares, the quality of reported earnings improves with low inflation, that is. This means that shares can trade on higher PEs with lower inflation. So low inflation, say down to 2%, can be good for shares via higher PEs. And we've seen that historically. If you look at Australian shares and US shares for the period for which we have PEs, and that's in the case of the US back to 1900, Australian shares back to 1962, you can see quite a clear relationship. The lower the inflation rate, the higher the price to earnings multiple that the share market can trade on. And in particular, the shift from high inflation in the 1970s and 1980s to the low inflation of the last decade was very very positive for shares because it enabled share market price-to-earnings multiples to rise, enhancing overall returns that you get from shares. But if inflation rises, resulting in higher interest rates, then shares in theory should trade on lower price-to-earnings multiples as investors find shares less attractive, uncertainty rises, and the quality of reported earnings deteriorates. This, of course, was a major factor weighing on share markets last year. To get technical, and some people are always interested in this aspect of it, share prices in theory should equal the present value of future dividends, discounted by the required rate of return, which equals the risk-free interest rate, which is usually seen as the government bond yield, plus a return premium to cover the higher volatility of shares. It follows from this that shares should trade on higher price-to-earnings ratios when interest rates fall and vice versa when they rise, all other things being equal. This is why interest rates can't be ignored when valuing share markets. So what are the current messages coming from valuations? In the case of cash, as I mentioned earlier, it's quite simple, cash and term deposit rates at 4% are substantially more attractive than they were, say, two years ago. But of course, they're still running below the rate of inflation. So in real terms, you're still going backwards, albeit it is a lot more attractive than it was two years ago. Bond yields, similar story. Bond yields around 4%, 4 4.5% are far more attractive than was the case two years ago, pointing to much improved medium-term return potential from government bonds, although 4% is still historically constrained for bond returns. Now, for shares, of course, it's always a little bit more complicated, but current price-to-earnings multiples for shares point to a medium-term return, potential of around 10% for Australian shares. The Australian PE is currently around 15, 16 times. Historically, that's translated to roughly about a 10% return in the subsequent 10 years. And that's on a per annum basis. Now, for the US, though, the PE on US shares is in excess of 20 times. In fact, on one measure that I've got, it's around 24 times. And historically, that's translated to a return from US shares of around 5% per annum, give or take. So the situation with price to earnings multiples is sort of okay for Australian shares but not looking so good for US shares. Allowing for the rise in bond yields by subtracting 10-year bond yields from the earnings yields that shares offer using, in this case, forward projected earnings, um, shows that US shares are trading on a reduced return premium over bonds of around 0.8%. In Australia, it's a little bit better, it's around 2% but it's still relatively low compared to what we got used to in the post- GFC period, when those premiums over what bonds were offering were typically around 3 to 4%. For the US, that 0.8% gap or risk premium that it's offering is the lowest risk premium over bonds since after the tech wreck, whereas current uncertainties, particularly around interest rates, recession risk, and geopolitics, suggest that in theory, the risk premium should ideally be higher. Fortunately, that for Australian shares is more attractive, but it's still lower than it was In the post-GFC period. But ideally, bond yields need to fall to improve the prospects for shares. If we are right and inflation continues to fall over the year ahead, then this should allow lower bond yields and provide some support for shares. But in the near term, I would have to say that the risk of a further correction in share markets led out of the US remains high, given that stretched valuation and low equity risk premium on offer from the U.S. share market, particularly for tech stocks, which are very sensitive to bond yields. So right now, there is a risk of further correction in share markets. And the big threat there is this ongoing rise that we are seeing in bond yields. On a 12-month view, we think, as I mentioned, that inflation will come back down, taking pressure off bond yields. But in the short term, that risk of a correction is quite high. So I hope that that has been of some value. I will leave it there. Until we meet again, adios. To keep up to date with Dr. Oliver in the Simplifying Investing podcast series, be sure to subscribe to your favourite streaming platform.